Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. So today we are in week seven of a series that we started back on our anniversary uh, that we are calling By Faith, The Sequel. And if you are joining us for the first time, I I did meet a few people in the lobby here for the first time. Uh, Let me do my best to catch you up to speed briefly before we get into today's content. Uh, We're calling it The Sequel because we are revisiting a phrase that God gave us at the beginning of 2022, those two words, by faith, because we believed it was a prophetic declaration into all he had in store for us this year. We looked at Hebrews 11 and stories of great men and women and all that they accomplished by faith and inspired ourselves to live this year in the same manner, to, to take some risks, to go beyond the natural, to pray for the impossible. Uh, We concluded that series back in the spring, but as we neared our four-year anniversary back in September, we just had this this conviction that God was not done with those words yet. There was so much more that we hadn't stepped into yet. Healings we hadn't seen, breakthrough we hadn't seen, freedom for people, salvation for those who have yet to turn to Christ. And so uh, we determined to end the year the same way we started by revisiting once again those two words and asking ourselves, what would the Holy Spirit invite us to do by faith before the clock strikes midnight on 1231? Only this time, we are not looking at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We are looking at a song that we wrote and released a few weeks ago, uh, inspired, of course, by scripture. And each week, we're using the lyrics of that song and the corresponding scriptures as the catalyst for each of the sermons. Uh, Today, I want to look once again at the lyric we considered last weekend. Uh, If you're here or if you listened online, you recall this was a two-part sermon, which I know is a bit confusing. A second version of the sequel and a two-part sermon... (laughs) It's like a math equation, just trying to get to the Bible today, like common core math. Okay. Yeah. You have to use the whole paper to understand it. But, uh, it is this lyric from the bridge where we sing waves, bow down, mountains, move, demons shake when we mention you. And last week we looked at those three words at the beginning of that phrase, waves, bow down. Uh, I mentioned in that sermon that Those lyrics come from not one, but two different stories in scripture where the waves themselves respond to the authority of Christ. The first of those stories we considered is in Mark chapter four, where Jesus looks at his disciples and he invites them to jump into a boat and head out to the other side of a lake. Only a few verses later to find Jesus sleeping in the back of that same boat as a storm breaks out and the disciples are terrified, wondering if they're going to live through it. Today, we are going to look at the second of those stories that actually takes place just a few months later in the same body of water with the same group of people. Uh, And this is normally where I would tell you to turn in your Bible to a certain passage. Uh, Today, I'm actually going to ask you to turn your attention to the screen because this story is contained in three of the four Gospels, uh, Matthews, Marks, and Johns, and each of them include different details about the story, not contradicting details, but, but different details. And so in an effort to make sure we mine this text for all that it's worth, I've actually kind of Frankensteined the three versions together and created my my own version of the story. I didn't add anything to it. Don't worry, I'm not a heretic. Like, I don't remember the part about give me all your money in there. That doesn't seem right. But no, it is the real story just from different passages of scripture. So we'll turn our attention to the screen in just a moment. Before that, let me provide a little bit of context for the story. 
So at this point, Jesus has just performed perhaps one of the most famous miracles uh, where he feeds nearly 15 to 20,000 people with a single boy's lunch. The disciples come and they jack this kid's Lunchable and they bring it to Jesus and it's got five loaves and two fishes and Jesus takes what has been given to him, he holds it up to heaven and he blesses it and then he hands it back to the disciples and they begin to distribute this, this food and find that they have more than enough for 15 to 20,000 people. Little side note, since I just joked about money, let me be serious about it. This is why we encourage you every single week to give. This is why we talk about giving every single week here at the Father's house. Because when we are in charge of our resources and we hold it in our own hands, there is never enough. It, it, is, it is a rationing game to figure out if we're gonna be able to make it to the end of the month. But when we trust Jesus first with our resources, we place them in his hands. He does something supernatural with them. He blesses them and multiplies them so that we have more than enough, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 9. So, so Jesus does this incredible miracle, and then he intends to head out to the other side of the lake, but he's gotta take care of some business before he does. And so he tells his disciples to get into the boat, and, and this is where we're gonna pick up today in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. Well, he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He would have passed them by, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, take courage, I am right here, that's a word for somebody today. Don't be afraid, take courage, I am right here. Matthew goes on to say, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come out onto the water walking towards you. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, he said. Why did you doubt me? Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. Long story, but a lot to mind there. Another day, another storm, same disciples, same lake, same promise that they're going to make it to the other side. Yet despite the similarities of these two stories, there is some fresh truth for us to mine from this text today. So we're gonna get into it and we are going to uh, engage now in part two of this sermon. No singing today, no piano playing for me, unfortunately. I've embarrassed myself enough. So we're just gonna call it Hello from the Other Side, part two. <laughs> Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Thank you for your presence here today, Jesus. It is so obvious that you are here among us, that you are beckoning, drawing, speaking. And uh, as Eric shared a bit ago, according to Psalm 119, you said that the entrance of your word will bring light. So I pray right now for anyone in this room who is in a dark season, a stormy season where it is difficult to see, may the light of your word bring clarity today. May it bring focus today. And may it accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish before we leave. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. As we read through that text, 
If you're like me, perhaps you noticed that there was a bit of a contradiction in relation to last week's application of the storm story we discussed. I actually had a bit of an LOL moment in my office as I was studying this sermon or this text last week uh, because I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like contradict something I said last weekend, which is never the, you know, the best way to present content to people. Hey, remember what I said last weekend? Not true. This, I really mean it this time. That's but, but there is a bit of a contradiction in the text, and, and here's what I mean. Uh, last week, you'll recall that we spent a considerable amount of time looking at this accusation the disciples made of Jesus, that he was sleeping in the back of the boat when they thought he should be awake, and, and they asked him this question, don't you care? They, they accused Jesus of negligence, of, of not caring because he was still in the storm, but we concluded that his stillness was not a bad thing. His stillness was confirmation that he is calm in the midst of chaos, and although he was still, he was also present. So even though we're walking through difficult seasons, we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is still present with us. He is Emmanuel, the God that's walking with us in that storm. Well, not so much this week. Yeah, he's not in the boat this week. (laughs) He's nowhere near the boat this week. In fact, according to this story, he's clear on the other side of the lake. He's on the shore. And he's doing something that, that we would not expect or assume Jesus would do when his disciples find themselves in a precarious situation. According to Mark, he is just standing on the side of the shore watching them struggle in the storm. Let me, let me prove it to you. It says in Mark chapter six, verse 47, when evening came, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind of the waves. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. So some of you might remember us unpacking this in a previous series. If you were with us during the pandemic, we looked at this scripture and applied it a little bit differently. But many of you were not here at that time. And even if you were here, this is an important truth to remind ourselves of, because if we forget it, it can lead to great frustration in the journey of faith. It says that when evening came, Jesus witnessed his disciples struggling out there in the middle of the lake. Historians will tell us that evening in this text, in this culture, would have been the time that the sun went down. And based on the time of year that these events took place, this would have been somewhere between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. However, it tells us later that it wasn't until the fourth watch of the night that Jesus walks out onto the water towards his disciples. Again, historians will tell us that the fourth watch of the night would have been somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So let's do a little bit of math, which I know none of us want to do on a Sunday morning, but let's do it anyway. Okay, 9 p.m., Jesus sees his boys struggling out there, and then somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., he actually goes out to help them. So for somewhere between six hours and nine hours, Jesus is just chilling watching these guys whom he says he loves suffer out there in the middle of a storm. Does that seem unjesus like to anybody else but me? <laughs> like, where's the Jesus that sits with me in the storm? Where's the Jesus who's Emmanuel, the comforter that's with me? Where's the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Dutch Jesus they showed me in Sunday school holding a lamb and cuddling it? Where's that Jesus? Bring him back. Who's this guy? Just standing on the shore, 
watching his kids struggle in the middle of a lake. If they had reason to accuse Jesus of not caring and being negligent before, they definitely have reason to accuse him of that now. Just sitting there watching them suffer. What kind of Jesus stands on the shore of your life and just watches you struggle in a storm? I'll tell you what kind of Jesus. The same Jesus that we thought last week should have been awake in the back of the boat in the middle of a storm. The same Jesus that we determined cares far more about the integrity of your faith than the expediency of your storm. The same Jesus that cares less about your comfort than he does about your development. The Jesus that is all about seeing you developed in that storm. While the details of these stories are different, the application is exactly the same. Whether it's a sleeping Jesus in a boat or a standing Jesus on a shore, the truth remains that he allows storms to take place in our life for the purpose of developing our faith. It's the same. I know this is not encouraging, but it's true. There is something being developed in you right now in that storm that cannot be developed any other way but through the crucible of the wind and the waves. It hurts, but your faith is being developed. There's something in you that's growing. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that we are called as believers to go from faith to faith. It says in 2 Corinthians, from glory to glory. We're supposed to be making progress, becoming more faith-filled. There is something that happened in yesterday's storm that prepared me to stand in this storm, and there is something happening in the middle of what I'm facing right now that is developing a faith and a fortitude that allows me to stand a little bit differently in the storm that I'm going to face tomorrow. I, I know it's not popular to preach like, but it's true. Faith to faith. I am being developed right now. And this is the the unspoken question of Jesus in this text. He doesn't say it overtly, but rest assured, he's saying it between the lines. As he watches his disciples on the same body of water, heading to the same location, probably the same boat with the same promise that he gave them last time, only months after their first storm encounter, he's asking, did you learn anything? Did you grow? Have you been developed? Are you moving from faith to faith? Or are you just going to go from failure to failure? Because listen, the only way you fail is if you don't learn anything. The only way that storm wins is if nothing was developed in you from the last time. And hey, I hate to break it to you, but when you fail a test, it's the same as it is in school. You're going to keep taking it over and over and over and over and over again until that which Jesus wants to develop in you is developed for the sake of the next season. You will face that same storm until you learn how to stand in it. You will walk through that rejection storm time and time again until you learn that your identity is not rooted in what people say about you or your titles, but it is rooted in what Jesus says about you. You will face that financial storm over and over and over again until you learn to put Jesus first in your finances. 
You will face that same relational storm over and over and over again until you learn how to humble yourself and consider others better than you, until you learn how to forgive without someone asking for forgiveness, until you learn how to stop looking for the speck in someone else's eye with you ignoring the log in your own eye. You will keep walking through those storms until you learn to be developed in them. Are you being developed? And listen, it's not because God hates you. It's not because he's mad at you or he's punishing you. It's because he loves you too much to let you walk through this life sailing on pleasant waters with an underdeveloped faith. He will allow you to experience some wind and some waves because he loves you enough to see you go through some stuff so that your faith is developed and you can stand strong in every season of life. So let me pose a question that you should be posing to yourself, a question I'm posing to myself in the midst of our current storm, lest I end up delaying or prolonging or running back and doing it all over again. Here it is. What could this storm be developing in me? Just say la. Let's sit on that for a moment. What could this storm be developing in me? Seriously, think about that. I know it's chaotic and wind. Stop. What's God doing in you right now? What is he developing, growing, fortifying? What, what could this be developing? That, that question can change everything. It can change your perspective. It can take you from screaming in fear to standing in faith. When I have the perspective, when I understand that this storm is producing something in me. Suddenly, I am not focused on the wind and the waves and the chaos and the waters, but suddenly I begin to gain perspective and I realize Jesus is working in this storm right now. In fact, maybe better said in light of the text that we're considering today, I begin to see that Jesus is walking in this storm that I'm facing right now. Jesus walks. God, show me the way. Sorry, we canceled Kanye. We can't sing Kanye anymore, church. Sure, sure. look, look, look back, look at the text here for a moment. <laughs> he just quoted Kanye. That's inappropriate. Uh, okay. Matthew 14. Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the other side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and he saw the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Pause. I, I think those few verses contain probably one of the most significant truths of faith. It's simple, but it's profound. Jesus begins to walk out on the waters towards the disciples. He walks out on the waters. Not just any water, storm water. Chaotic waters. Waves being tossed to and fro. Waters that the disciples are terrified are gonna take them out. Jesus just comes walking on those waters. It's a picture of his authority. 
He's not in the storm. He's on it. He's above it. It's underneath his feet. As we sang earlier, his name is above it all. Whatever wave, whatever chaos, he is above cancer. He is above blood disorders. He is above lack. He is above broken relations. He is above it all. But he's not out there alone, is he? He actually invites Peter to join him on the waters. Again, not just any waters, storm waters. He invites Peter to stand on the same waves that were threatening his life a moment ago. He invites Peter to walk above the storm, to understand that it too can be beneath his feet. It is not just beneath Jesus' feet, but it is also beneath his feet. Listen, listen. If you're taking notes, write this down. Last week I said that sometimes before Jesus speaks to your storm, he wants to sit with you in it. Today I want to tell you this. Sometimes before Jesus silences your storm, he wants to stand with you on it. To remind you that he is not the only one who can speak to wind and waves to remind you that you too have been granted authority by his name. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. Luke chapter 10 says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, but I have given you all authority and he has now been placed under your feet. Jesus is not the only one out there on those waters. He's beckoning you. Will you stand on top? Will you take the authority that I've entrusted to you and will you walk above this thing that you're facing right now? You have been called to stand on the storm with your Savior. It's not just beneath him. It's beneath you. You have authority. But sadly, very few people exercise that authority. Very few believers end up keeping that posture above the waves. And I think it's because we fall into the same trap that Peter fell into here in this text. It says that when he fixed his gaze on Jesus, he walked on the waves. But when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. When he saw, will you say that with me? When he saw. I've heard a lot of preachers talk about those three words. And honestly, I've heard a lot of bad theology peddled out of those three words. It's a lazy application of the text. I've heard people say, well, that's the problem. He looked at the waves. He looked at the problem. He should have never even gone there. It's this idea that you just stick your head in the sand and you ignore the storm that you're facing right now. You know the theology. You've heard it peddled before. It's the idea that even an acknowledgement of a storm is a faithless act. That true faith is ignoring it all together. Just come on, come to church, brother. Read, pray. Come on, focus on Jesus. Don't look at anything else and eventually this storm will pass. When it's hyper-applied, it's that broken theology that leads to this idea that anything other than supernatural intervention is a faithless act. 
Well, don't go to the doctor because if you go to the doctor, then you're faithless. And, and if you're true faith, you shouldn't go to the profession. Don't go to get the counseling or the help or the 12-step. You, you need Jesus. Don't take the medication. If you take the pill and aid you in the process, then, then your faith and hope is in that pill and it has to be in Jesus. And That's broken, really twisted Pentecostal theology. And it's not true. It is not what Jesus is saying here. It's not what the text is trying to teach us. This, this is not Matthew's application. We're supposed to draw like, just stick your head in the sand. Just don't look at anything else around you. This bubble of Christianity, that's not it. In fact, if we look a little bit deeper in this text, here's what we're gonna find. This is not really an issue of seeing. It's an issue of staring. Follow me. There's two words in the Greek that refer to sight. Two words that are used throughout the text to refer to us seeing something. The first word in the Greek is the word, I'm gonna roll the R, because we did it earlier, right? Horao, yes, horao. And horao is this word that, that means exactly what you think it means. It is to perceive with your natural eyes. I horao you, horaoing me right now. I horao you, taking notes. I horao you, checking Instagram. I horao you falling asleep while I'm talking. You get the point, right? Okay, I, I hurrah, I, I see what's happening. I perceive it with my natural eyes. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean that, okay? I don't even know who I pointed at. <laughs> but that's not the word that's used here in this text. The word that's used here in the Greek is the word blepo. And blepo, check this out, it means to be possessed of sight. To be possessed. The problem is not that Peter glanced at the wind and the waves, it's that he blepoed them. He became possessed of sight, enamored with, focused on, consumed with, could not look away from the wind and the waves. At one point, he was blepoed on Jesus. He had his gaze fixed on him and he could not see anything but the Savior. But then when the majority of his focus shifted to the wind and the waves, suddenly he found himself sinking on the same waters that he was standing on a moment prior. He was possessed of sight. Here's what that tells me. That tells me something about faith. It, it tells me that, that faith is not willful ignorance, it's intentional focus. Let me say that again. Faith is not willful ignorance, it is intentional focus. It, it, it has the ability to acknowledge, yes, I'm walking through something right now. Yeah, this is difficult, it's real. But the entirety of my life and focus is not on that thing. I'm going to keep my focus on Jesus while acknowledging, yes, I'm still walking through something right now. I know it's subtle and it might feel even a bit pedantic, but it's really important. Yeah, yeah you can acknowledge, but where is your, your focus right now? Lest we get caught in analogies, let me make this very simple and practical, okay? You can have faith and still go to a doctor, provided your hope is not in the medical professional, but it is in the God who led you to that space so that you could get the counsel necessary. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You can have faith and you can still go to a counselor or to a 12-step program, provided your hope is not in the steps and your hope is not in the advice, your hope is in the God who empowers you to begin to walk those things out. Are you, are you following? You, you, you can have faith 
and still take some medication to aid you in the process, as long as your hope is not in a pill, but your hope is in the God who created your body, who formed you together in your mother's womb and knows exactly what you need so that you can heal. Listen, I'll tell you this right now. If my daughter finds healing in the pill that she is on right now, this most recent medication, if she doesn't have to go back for endoscopies every four to six weeks while they put rubber bands around her veins because this pill begins to work, I will not bow down and honor the medical professional that prescribed it. I will not bow down and honor the the, the pharmaceutical company that manufactured it. I will bow down and worship the God of heaven who created her in my, my wife's womb all those years ago because he's the one who led us to that place. It's not willful ignorance, it's intentional focus. It's where's my aim, where's my gaze, where's my focus? Focus more on the word than the web to find answers. Focus more on worship than worry. Focus more on prayer for peace than processing with other people. You will not find peace in processing with a bunch of other people. Philippians 4 says, be anxious about nothing but pray about everything, and then the God of peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He will give you peace that surpasses all of your understanding. It's a focus thing. Where am I looking? Where am I gazing? How am I speaking? When your focus is right, then you will begin to experience the reality we see in this text. You will see Jesus walking above that storm. You will join him on those waves, walking above that storm. But there's something else you're going to realize as you begin to engage your focus appropriately. And this is the last thought I wanna unpack together. It's this, you'll begin to find that although your storm is raging, you're almost there. I I almost did not put this in the sermon this week because I vacillated over whether or not it was the right thing to say. You guys know I've said this many times. I do not like dangling carrots. I do not like hyping people up emotionally and rah, rah here in church. And then you walk out those doors and you come crashing back down in the reality of what you're facing out there. I'm gonna add into creating some false environment of hope in here only to see you walk back out into the reality that you're facing. And I would not say something if I was not absolutely convinced it was the Holy Spirit speaking to it. But this phrase, the more I prayed this week, the more I could not shake the idea that you are almost there. Yeah, the storm's real, but there is another side. There will come a moment where the waves will cease, the wind will stop, and you will arrive safely on the shore in your destination where God is calling you. And I'm here to tell you today that you might be closer to that moment than you think. There's a detail in this story. It's in John's gospel, the only fisherman of the gospel writers. And he includes a detail that honestly, in all of my years of studying this text, I have never seen before until this week. And I think it's because God needed to remind me of it. And he probably needed to remind some other people of it today as well. Look at what John shares in this uh, gospel account, six, uh, chapter six, verse 19. And I'll invite the band to come as, as we get ready to conclude here. It says, after the disciples had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I'm here. Then they were eager to let him into the boat. And then look at this line. And immediately they arrived at their destination. 
Immediately they arrived at their destination. You're almost there, you're almost there. So based on the geography of the Sea of Galilee, the place of their departure and the place of their arrival, there's a span of about three to four miles on the waters. And John includes a detail in his gospel account that they had traveled roughly three to four miles. And then he includes the fact that as Jesus gets into this boat, they immediately arrived at their destination. Was it teleportation? No. They were already almost there. They had nearly reached the other side as they were struggling in this storm. Perhaps this brings a little bit of clarity to why Jesus was about to pass them by. It wasn't because he was just mean, like, hey, I'm gonna go first class, you sit back there and coach, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, he's like, no, we're, we're right there. I don't need to get in the boat, you're, you're almost there. I don't know, maybe that's why. But the fact remains, they were nearly there. The problem was they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the shore on the other side because all they saw was the waves. All they saw was the fog. So even though it was right on the other side, they, they couldn't bring themselves to see that their destination was right around the corner. I wonder if that could be said of anybody here today. You cannot see the shore for the storm. But I can't help but wonder if they had. If the waves had parted and the fog had lifted and they had seen the sand, I can't help but wonder if they would have responded a little bit differently to this situation. I can't help but wonder if they would have chuckled and said to themselves, guys, why are we so afraid? Why were we freaking out? Why were we screaming for help and grappling for everything? We were right there. We were so close. Though weeping may last for the night, the morning is coming. There is joy right around the corner. Like, if I can see the morning, if I can see the sun begin to rise, I can, I can make it there. I'm almost there. There's a story, uh, an old story, maybe you've heard it before, about a, um, a swimmer. Her name was Florence Chadwick. And Florence, at the age of 34, decided that she was going to swim the Catalina Channel off the coast of San Diego. And it's about a 21 mile uh, swim. She set out one morning to, to swim. And at the time the weather was bad, the waters were cold, the current was strong, and there was a fog layer atop the water making it impossible to see. But she said, I've trained so hard for this moment. I'm not gonna miss it. I'm gonna swim anyway. So she gets into the waters and she begins to swim. And behind her is a, is a boat with her mother and some of her trainers and around her other boats to guide her in the right direction so that she doesn't get off course. And hour after hour after hour after hour, she swims and she swims and she swims and she swims. About hour 15, she calls back to the boat behind her and she says, I don't know if I can make it. I'm exhausted, the water's freezing. My body's about to collapse. But they kept encouraging her, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. So she keeps swimming. Finally, at about the 15 minute, excuse me, 15 hour and 55 minute mark, she gives up. She says, I just can't swim anymore. She begs her team to drag her into the boat. So they 
They peel this exhausted swimmer out of the water and they lay her down and put some blankets around her. And as they begin to head towards the shore, the fog starts to lift and they realize that she was less than a mile from the shore. Obviously she was devastated. So later on, she's meeting with some reporters and they ask her, hey, how do you feel about what you discovered? And she said, listen, I'm not making any excuses, but I am gonna say this. I know if I had been able to see the shore, I would have made it. Man, I pray in these last 45 seconds, you would see in the spirit. I pray that your natural eyes would be closed and you would see with the eyes of the Spirit and understanding, that you would not hear the voice of a man on stage, but you would hear the voice of your Savior saying, you are almost there. There is another side to your situation. There's another side to your sickness. There's another side to your pain. There's another side to your suffering. There's another side to your broken marriage. There's another side to your depression, another side to your anxiety. And you cannot give up right now. Do not be afraid. Do not lose hope because you are almost there. Jesus, Father, right now in, in this room, I pray that you would you would whisper to every heart. You would whisper to every single person who's navigating through their own season of storms. Though the variety of them looks different, the truth of your word still stands. You're gonna get to the other side. I, I pray right now for anybody who finds themselves sinking, that they would adjust their focus, they'd see you today. They'd see the God who stands above the storm. They'd see Jesus walking above it and that they would join you on those waters. Just feel like the Holy Spirit would say to somebody, take note, every disciple made it to the other side. None of them got left out in the waters. They all made it. There's a story in the book of Acts later on where Paul finds himself in a storm and the whole boat is crushed and collapsed, but he tells all the prisoners to just grab onto the, the pieces of wood from the boat in the water and every single person made it over to the other side. Whether you make it there intact or you make it there and the boat is destroyed and you're full of water and you can barely collapse on the shore, here's the truth, you will still make it to the other side of that thing. We receive that promise today, Jesus. Hallelujah. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna make an invitation to anyone in the room today that might find themselves in need of, of salvation. You need to take that step out onto the waters towards Jesus, not just for your situation, but for your life. And I had this thought as I was finishing up preparing this sermon. Peter said to Jesus, he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out onto the waters. There was still a bit of uncertainty in his heart, but he was willing to step out even with that uncertainty. I pray that today, if that's you and you need to get things right with Jesus and you're not fully convinced yet of all of this God stuff, there'd be enough faith inside of you that say, Jesus, if it's you, I'll take a step out in your direction today. That's all it takes, one step and he'll deal with the rest. If you're here this morning and you say, Tim, I need to get my life right with Christ and I need to make a decision to follow him. 
wanna pray that prayer of commitment with you. And if you need to be included in that prayer, will you just simply lift up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, that's me. I need to come to Jesus today. Thank you, man. I got you in the back right there. Awesome. Yeah, 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 cool. All right, church, we're gonna pray this prayer of commitment together with those making this decision. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me and for providing new life. May I walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.